0: That's, you know, that happens sometimes. You <clears throat> kind of cough it up. You kind of swallow. And apparently when I'm swallowing, this little piece of chip had broken into the perfect shape of like a knife or something. Because every time I swallowed it, it was like, oh. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I was really getting concerned. I, I, oh, 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 I get an idea. So as you're choking, you, you get this is what happens in your brain, right? You're like, all right, I got a plan. I'm going to drink this water, and it's going to soften it up. And then I'll swallow it. So I'm trying to like down my whole glass of water without my family noticing or my in-laws really because I didn't want to look weird and so I could barely swallow so I'm swallowing half the water the other half is kind of dribbling out I look ridiculous at this point but I'm trying not to die right my girls are looking at me like what's going on and I'm starting to think like okay like at this point it's not moving at what point do you like make a big deal out of this Right, Like, where is, like, the em- line for an emergency, right? Like, but I know we're quickly approaching it. I'm like, okay, so I'm, as I'm thinking that, the waiter walks up, and uh, the rest of them didn't see him. He, he kind of come up to our end of the table, and he came up. And that was my time, right? That was my moment to be like, I need some help. I'm dying from a tortilla chip, right? <laughs> but instead, my pride got in the way, and he, got, he came up, and he was like, uh, are you ready to order? And I was like, <laughs> One minute, please. You know, I couldn't say that because I was choking. So he was like, okay, walked away. I was like, man, that's the only guy that could have saved me right there without looking dumb. So now I'm thinking like, okay, this is an emergency. I have to, I have, like, how do you do this? Like, how do you alert people, right? That, you know, do I stand, do I fall on the ground? You know, that seems weird. Do I start banging on the table? Do I like try to pantomime tortilla chip choking? I'm about to die, you know? And as I'm just like sweating this, all of a sudden the tortilla chip, just goes down it's done i could breathe i took a sip i drank some water and i ate the rest of those tortilla chips man they were delicious <laughs> <laughs> they were so good <laughs> that was my brush with death <laughs> i know that, that's the closest i've got i live a dangerous life right i'm a pastor i don't do anything <laughs> crazy like that <laughs> no but you know it, it's kind of silly but that does kind of bring you face to face with the reality of our mortality You know, that's a silly version, but there's some real stuff. You know, illnesses, unexpected deaths of people near us, the brush with death, an accident. uh, You know, there are these things that bring us face to face with our mortality and we're confronted with those really big questions in life. You know, those big questions that we all have to answer? What happens after we die? Is there life after death? Is there more than just this? Is our existence more than just the life here on this world? You know, we're faced with that. We have that question that we all have to answer. Because the way we answer that question determines the way we live. And the way we live really reveals what we think about the answer to that question. But see, here's the thing, man. I think a lot of times we don't even face that. We're, we don't even think about it. We don't even consider it because, I don't know, maybe is it because we're too busy? We just don't think about these bigger questions. Maybe we're just too busy focused on the little things in life or what's right in front of us and we just kind of go from one moment to another, one appointment to the next, one calendar item to the next. I don't know. Is your life like that? I mean, it's just so busy that it's like, man, I need a vacation. But then when I go on vacation, I do the same thing on vacation, right? You ever have one of those vacations where you come back home, you're even more tired than when you left? You know, I took my girls to Disney World in October and let me tell you, I was ready for a vacation when I got home. You know, you know, we're just so busy. We're just so full of important things, of urgent things. We just don't have time to consider these bigger questions in life. Maybe it's just because maybe we're distracted by, by all the shiny things of the world. Like we have entertainment, we have things screaming for our attention 24-7, right? And it's hard to just like pull away from that and really kind of think about the bigger things and really kind of have the bigger picture. But we have to answer that question. Is there more than just this? Because the way we answer that question is so important. Because it determines the way we live. And I'm going to be completely honest with you about my bias. You could probably guess it. I'm a pastor. But my bias is, I think there's more than just this. Man, I I believe in Jesus and exactly who he is and exactly what he said. I believe there's more than just what we can can see and measure. Man, I can't help but think that. When I look at what we're learning, I grew up like a science nerd. I loved astronomy. And I loved reading about all these new discoveries. Every time we learn something new in science, I mean, it's so complex. And it all just works all simultaneously. I look at that I'm like man that can't just be an accident that's not just some sludge when I look at how vast the universe is when I look at the way it all just kind of spins together it almost looks like it's precisely fine-tuned so that we can exist in this universe I mean it's just it's just mind-blowing to me when I look at love and I look at life and I look at beauty like you know what is the evolutionary advantage of appreciating beauty right supposedly everything we feel and are just came accidentally from evolution well then why do we appreciate beauty Why is that designed into our brains? Why do we all have that? Why is it that every single human civilization in all of history, in all places, has known that there's something bigger than just this? There's something more. There is a higher power. How is it that we've all just known that? And they were all, they didn't all interact. You're talking about ancient cultures? They didn't know, but they've all came to the conclusion separately. Man, there is something more. There's more than just this. And I look at that, and I can't help but think, man, I really do think there is something more than this. But here's the thing. If we were created, if there is a creator who created all things, then my guess is he's probably beyond our understanding, right? He's probably just vast and incomprehensible. So the only way that we could know about him is if he revealed himself to us. I mean, doesn't that make sense? You look at all these cultures trying to figure it out on their own, and we kind of get glimpses of it. You know, one philosopher described it as lightning flashes when you're trying to walk through a dark field. You don't see the potholes. You don't see the ditches. You don't see the rocks. But every now and then there's a flash of lightning where you do get a glimpse of what it really looks like. And I feel like throughout human history we've been doing that. But if God is there, the only way to know about him is if he's revealed himself to us. So has he? Has he revealed himself to us? I don't know, man, I look out there, I look at the claims that are out there, and I gotta admit, I just find it really hard to dismiss Jesus. I think it's hard to just dismiss him. I think there's something going on there. You realize unlike every other major religion, major religious leader, Jesus didn't have an army behind him to spread his message. He didn't have a culture behind him that embraced his message. He didn't have any wealth. He didn't have any political power, any kind of royalty. Every other major world religion had that behind them. And that makes sense why that ideology would spread. But why did Jesus's, and in fact, why did it grow bigger than all of the others? there are more people today who claim to be followers of Jesus than any other way out there. Why is that? When he, it just, he's, he's a nobody according to the world standards with nothing but his message. In fact, not only were they not supporting him, but you're talking about the most powerful empire in the world tried to stop this man and his followers and his message. With all of their might and all of their wealth and all of their power and influence and vast worldly empire, they could not. In fact, not only could they not stop him but it spread like wildfire why is that man doesn't it seem like there's something weird going on with this jesus guy when you look at that doesn't there seem something special and unique i mean this supposedly nobody with nothing but his message became the most influential person in all of human history no single person has influenced the course of humanity more than jesus There's been more songs written, more poetry written, more art created about this one person than anyone else. There's been more scrutiny given to this one person than anyone else. You realize he only taught for three years, yet his teachings are more well known than Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle combined. You ask any average person out there to quote Jesus or to quote one of the philosophers, I bet most people would be able to quote Jesus before they quote the other. And he was only three years. What is so profound about him? What is so profound about his message? These other religions, they make sense why it would be that way. You know, Islam had an army behind it, had conquest behind it. In fact, even today, it is enforced by law in many parts of the world. You know, Buddhism, he was a prince. He was royalty. He had a culture that embraced him. Hinduism, they said yes to everything. (laughs) You know, they embraced everything in Hinduism. What is it about Jesus? Not only is he different than everyone else out there, but he's revered by every major world religion. You realize this? In Islam, Jesus is known as the prophet Esau. In Hinduism, he's known as one of the avatars. In Buddhism, he's considered an enlightened holy man. In, Jesus, uh, in, excuse me, in Judaism, he's a respected rabbi. I don't know about you, but if God were to become a person, I would expect him to be like that. And why would I go to someone to seek truth about life after death who is dead? Right? Why would I go to someone who's dead? You can visit Muhammad's tomb. You can visit this today. You know, Buddha, he's gone. All the, the Hindu holy men, they're, they're all gone. Why would I seek truth about life after death from him? Jesus came and said that he was the way and the truth and the life. Everyone who knew him said that he rose from the dead. You realize that? That's wild. There's no other claims like that out there. Everyone who knew him said he rose from the dead. When, the, when, they, when they publicly executed him, You know, Jesus wasn't the only one that that happened to, right? There were other ancient religious leaders who they brought out in public and they executed. You know what? Typically, that was the end of the religion, right? History is littered with with religious leaders who have ended that way. And yet, when Jesus died, all of his followers said that he had risen from the dead. In fact, thousands of people made that claim. His enemies, you, you go to ancient history, you go to these ancient sources... There are no ancient sources that say, here's his tomb that could produce a body. You realize that? Even the enemies of Jesus agreed that the tomb was empty. They couldn't produce. Why don't we stop this religion? We want to stop this movement. We can't. It's it's catching on. It's changing our empire. Why can't we just produce a body? You go to the ancient sources, they say, oh yeah, the tomb is empty. But his followers, they stole the body. That's what happened. These farmers, these fishermen... They snuck through town when it was full, like on a religious holiday. You had people in, tent, in tents all over the place, hundreds of thousands of people. They snuck through. And in the middle of the night, the Roman centurions, the guards, who were like the Navy SEALs of the time, these farmers and fishermen slipped behind them and you know put them out and moved this giant rock, got the dead body out. Nobody saw any of this. There are no ancient accounts of this. What we see in ancient history is that Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. And then his followers said that he had risen and that changed the world. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's not proof, not 100%, but I think that's really hard to dismiss. Not only that, but I think it's hard to dismiss what he said. You look at the teachings of Jesus, man, there's something really there. I love how it's summed up by uh, the Apostle Paul when he was writing to an early church leader, a guy named Titus, and he was, he was doing some training and development, and he was teaching. He was like, man, you've got to remember these things and remember these basics, remember the, the core, remember what's out here. And he wrote, and it's kept for us in, in, in Scripture today, we call it Titus in chapter 2, it says this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of God, our great, uh, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's talking about two appearances here of Jesus. First is this appearance in grace. You see, according to Jesus, God offers his grace to everyone. And here's the thing. We know we need that grace. We all know that. Inherently, we know we have sin. You don't even need me to tell you what sin is. You already know that you have it because we all know that we're imperfect. We all know that we've done wrong. We all know that we struggle to be the ideal version of ourselves. You don't need me to tell you that. Right? It's hard to find people that say, oh, no, I have no sin. Really? Really? (laughs) Yes, you do. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. But we're trying to connect with a perfect God. We know that sin is piled up. We know that sin is, a, is spread all over the world. We know that people struggle. What's interesting is I never had to teach my daughter how to lie. My six-year-old, she's amazing. She is so wonderful, Juliana. I, I, Sarah and I, are we, we are so intentional about teaching these girls. We have a younger one, Winter, who's three. And we're about teaching them and, and instilling character into them and teaching them about Jesus, teaching them to do the right thing, to be good little girls. You know, we try to teach them on an age-appropriate level. One day, she just started lying. I never taught her to do that. They just do that on their own. What is the struggle that we all have towards the things we don't want to do? Why are we naturally inclined toward that? And we struggle to do right because of sin. We know that. But man, if we're imperfect, and we're this is what Jesus says, is that our imperfection has separated us from a perfect God. The one who is perfect and pure and holy we're now separated from. And I don't know about you, but being separated from the source of life sounds like a really bad position to be in. That kind of makes me uncomfortable when I think about that. So what do we do with that? Well, every other world religion will tell you what you do to earn your way back in. You realize it. There's one thing that's different from Jesus than every other major, every religion. All of the teachings out there. They're all different variations of the same thing. Here's a list of things that you do to earn your way back to God's love. Here's a list of things that you do to earn your way to heaven. Jesus is the only one that says you can't make yourself perfect. You can't unring a bell. That's my version of saying it. But here's what he has done for us on the cross to save us for our sins and he offers his grace to all his free gift of complete forgiveness to anyone who would believe in jesus and follow him i don't know about you but that sounds like something i can't just ignore you ever gotten a good gift like just a really great you have a good gift giver in your life my wife is a great good she's a great gift giver i'm really terrible at giving gifts like, her, her like, birthday is right after Christmas, right at the beginning of January. And, you know, for pastors and churches, Christmas is a busy season. So the weeks leading up to her birthday, I'm always busy, and I'm not good at planning ahead. And you really got to plan ahead to get her birthday present and be thoughtful. You know, so I always, every year, I'm always, like, scrambling to get her a gift. And it's just always... It's not as good as it needs to be. And every year for my birthday, she always gets me great gifts. She's got I mean, just so many great things. And, you know, it just, it shows, it just makes me so appreciative. Like, am like, man, you just, you've really thought about this. Thank you. You know me. You love me. I appreciate that. You ever got a gift that you're just like, man, because you gave this gift to me, I am just so full of appreciation for that. This gift that God offers to all of us. When you realize that, when you know that, when you embrace that, you can't help but appreciate that. You can't help but be changed by that. You can't help but respond to that. And see, we look back in appreciation so that we can look forward to his second appearance, Jesus appearing in glory. Is what Paul tells us when he was writing to to Titus. Because Jesus said he will return. He's going to come back. There will be a day where his work is finished. There will be a day where he makes all things right. There will be a day where we meet him in glory. And whether we meet him in glory in our deaths or when he returns, there will be a day when we meet him. And Jesus offers his grace to give us hope for that day. This glory. Eternal life. Eternal life. That's wild. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what Jesus is offering us. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. He's telling us that death is not the end of us. Death is not the end. It's not some insurmountable monster to be afraid of. You see the one who went through death and came back out the other end says he is the way, the truth and the life and death is not the end of us. It's not the end of our relationships either. Do you realize the only two things that we can take with us into eternity is our relationship with God and our relationship with others there's nothing else we can take with us but the people around us man i can't help but be given this great gift and i can't help but share this gift i think of my friend keith who is a part of alive national with us he joined our launch team he's someone he's he's jewish his family's jewish when he was in high school he came to faith he came to understand who jesus is and this gift of grace that he's offering it absolutely changed his life it's so beautiful to see the transformation that's happened and he and his mom are really close And his mom has never understood his faith in Jesus. She's never been interested in it. She's never asked questions about it. Didn't want to know anything until he got involved with Alive Nashville. Only because he was so excited about it. He was so committed. He was going to church at weird times. You're going to a meeting at what time? You're just volunteering? So what's going on? It opened the door for her to ask questions. Keith has been waiting for that moment. Keith and I have had so many conversations like, man, here's how you can talk to her. Here's what you need to think about. Here's some ways. Man, he's had conversations with her. It's so beautiful when she came to one of our startup parties. We were talking about, this is for our church. We're starting a new church. This woman shows up to hear all about our church and how we want to point people to Jesus. She started coming to our launch gatherings every other Sunday. She's been to every single one. You better believe it. Every one we're talking about Jesus. There's so many stories like that. so beautiful. I can't help but share this gift with the people around us because I'm so appreciative this hope that we have is not just some wispy, abstract thing. I'm floating in the clouds. No, you realize what Jesus told us is a physical existence. The way that he described it is that our bodies now are like tents, but our bodies then will be like mansions. That there will be no sorrow. There will be no suffering. There will be no death. There will be no cancer. There will be no heart disease. There will be no, no anxiety, no depression, none of that. The hope that we have to look for is a blessed hope. This fulfillment and joy and peace. If in Jesus we have a blessing to look forward to. We have eternity to look forward to. Not judgment or condemnation or emptiness or nothingness. Not in Christ. We have something to look forward to. Something beautiful. Not something to fear or dread. But something to anticipate and hope for. And what I just said is Crazy. Life after death, new bodies, resurrection from the dead, eternity, heaven, joy, fulfillment. That's crazy. And if that's true, that changes everything. That changes everything. Man, that's a deal breaker on everything else. If that is true, that changes everything. Here's how the Apostle Paul talks about it. I mean, he talks about Actually, before I get there, I was just thinking about this, this time where I had this. I was, a, I was in youth ministry. I had this this, this kid, Nate Bousher. He was such a weird kid. <laughs> he was, I remember I took our, our teenagers on a trip once at camp. and um, we, were, we were getting done with, with lunch, and Nate was on his way out, and he realized he had a plastic spoon with him. He didn't want to walk back in and throw it away. Because he was being lazy or whatever. So he decided that he was going to try to slide the spoon into the pocket of just some guy standing nearby. And so, because this is what goes through the mind of a teenager, I guess. And so he's doing this. Me and, like, the rest of the group, we're, we noticed this. And we're kind of, like, silently cheering him. We're like, oh, is he being sliding in his pocket without him knowing? You know, he, he slid that thing in. And we were like, oh, yeah, the guy didn't know. That became a thing the rest of the week. All of the other teenagers, they also wanted to try to see if they could hide spoons in people's pockets or stuff without them knowing. And of course, because I was the leader of the group, they wanted to do that to me. I was the target of that. I would walk into my room. There'd be a spoon on my pillow. I'm like, how'd they get in here? There was a spoon. I'd get done praying and say, amen, and find a spoon in my pocket. I'm like, did you do this while we were praying? <laughs> you know? But it went beyond just that trip. When we got back and they would do that. They would still do that. I'd walk in, go to the bathroom. I'd come back into my office. There's a spoon on my laptop. I'm like, how did the teenagers sneak in here? And then how did they even know when I was going to the bathroom? Are they watching me? You know, you start to get paranoid. There's just spoons everywhere. I just find them when in my briefcase. I find them everywhere. It all culminated to one day I walk out and I, to, to go get in my car. I'm driving home. I drive this little Kia. I walk up to my car and I kid you not, every interior surface of my Kia was covered in plastic spoons. There were over 4,000 plastic spoons in my car. I later learned that Nate had organized the youth group to take up an offering to buy every plastic spoon in two different Kroger's. <laughs> and let me tell you, when you're driving in your car and every bump you hit, it's like, shh, like rattling. You know what I mean? Every time you hit it, that gets old after a while. You're like, I got to get these things out of my car. But now I got to find out how to get 4,000 spoons out of my car. Let me tell you, that's harder than it sounds. Because those things get everywhere. I would get them. I spent like an afternoon getting me and Sarah, getting all these spoons out and, you know, getting them out of the way. Next day you're driving around, you, you hit your brakes and spoons slide out from under your chair. You're like, goodness <laughs> gracious, these things. It, it got to the point, I remember one time I was actually, I was, I was, dri- I was driving a little over speed limit one day. I, um, I saw some blue lights behind me. It was one of those deals. I don't know if this has ever happened to you before. But a police officer pulled me over and... Uh, you know, he asked me how fast I was going. I couldn't have been going more than one or two miles, may, under. He was, I don't know what was going on. So, <laughs> but he pulled me over and, you know, the whole like, yeah, I want to see your license and registration. I opened up my glove box and like 200 spoons exploded out of there. <laughs> Those spoons were everywhere. Luckily, he let me go. He saw that I was just a ridiculous person. He was like, hey, get out of here. <laughs> I could pay you in spoons. I don't know if that'll work. <laughs> Man, if this is true, this hope that we have, if that is true, if what I said about eternity is true, then that hope should permeate every single nook and cranny of our lives. That hope should find its way into every relationship, into every thought and feeling, into every priority, into every plan, into every day. That hope would be present there. The the Apostle Paul says it like this when he was writing to the Christians in Philippians to encourage them. He said this. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before now and tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul is talking about living with an eternal perspective. Living every day with eternity in mind. I think about if our lives were like this. If you just imagine, this was our existence. And this just, just imagine if this went on forever. And this is us. This is our lives. And just this bit here is us on earth. This right here is our lives on earth. Jesus says we're eternal. He says that we'll spend eternity somewhere And this red time. This is right here. This is just our time on earth. There's more than just this red. There's more than just this. There's so much more. When you look at it, and you just imagine it going on and on. And this, this right here, our whole lives, our whole existence, all of the however many years that we're given right here, this is it right here. According to Jesus, what we do in this red part determines what this looks like. And the Apostle Paul is saying, man, I press on, I strain, I look ahead. Jesus is saying, at the end of this, we'll face either reward or regret. And do we want to come to the end of our times here on this earth with regret? Or do we want to look forward to reward? I mean, think about it. At the end of this, what really matters? At the very end of this, man, I'm so glad I watched 7,000 hours of netflix every day <laughs> you know like is that really going to be what i'm so you know what so we're so it's so crazy to me how folks so hyper focused on right here we can be and not even see any of this we work so hard just this tiny little sliver right here so that that can be comfortable right and we're going to save and work and put everything towards right here or maybe some of us who are so obsessed with youth and beauty this we see this in our culture this part right here up at the beginning really this is all we're looking at or maybe some of us are like man i'm just living day to day i don't ever see the bigger picture I just only see this tiny little sliver right here really is this all we're seeing when there's so much more to who we are there's so much more to our existence than just this we're just we're spinning the red just to make this red as comfortable as possible just to make this as easy as possible Paul says, I'm going to live my entire life on this earth to invest in eternity. And everything I do and everything I have and every muscle in my being is straining towards eternity. And I'm pressing on to what is ahead. And I live with that perspective every day of my life. That's what Paul is saying. How different would our lives be if we had an eternal perspective? How different would our relationships be? How different would our struggles be? How different would our fears and worries be? How different would our goals and priorities be? If we lived with an eternal perspective, it's tempting to just focus right here. Because down here, everybody's focused right here, right? everybody's focused on just this just to keep this this right here whatever shiny pleasures of the world we have this is all it's all about the trinkets but here's what jesus said is you can gain the whole world but lose your soul you could have you could have the most amazing this right here and lose everything that matters that changes the perspective for me Man, I don't know, if you believe in Jesus, if you call yourself a believer in Jesus as I am, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus and I am, then let me encourage you today that the hope we have is something beautiful to look forward to. Let me challenge you today to live with an eternal perspective. Because what we have to look forward to is beautiful. It says this, one of the last things recorded about Jesus, and one of the last things he ever said is this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. We're going to have a time of prayer and a time of invitation. And if you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you've never claimed him as your Savior and said, I want to give my all to him, we invite you to come forward. We're going to have music time after our prayer. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for your goodness. God, thank you for all that you have done to reconnect us with you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, working through people in our lives, circumstances in our lives. God, thank you for creating us. Thank you for giving us beauty. God, thank you for rescuing us from our sins. Lord, help us to live every day with eternity in mind. Help us to live every day with an eternal perspective. Lord, help us to live in the hope that we have in you. Lord, let it be evident in in every area of our lives. God, I just pray that the people around us or those in here today who have not yet um, said that they believe in you and they follow you, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will move us, Lord. That you will move us to believe in you, to trust in you, and to follow you.